Okay, you might be wondering why the starter isn't up here. So we're down to number two or three. I don't even know what, what level I'm at of the depth chart. But um, Sean was taking a class this week on, on expository preaching. So I'm like, yes, sharpen the axe. I'm doing the same thing. I'm taking, um, working on a, a master's level certificate in spiritual care. And I just think it's never too late to sharpen the axe. And so we're both doing that in our own way. And I don't know about you guys, when we sang those last couple of songs, in my head, I was picturing standing before the throne, lift, lifting my hands up to, 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 to Jesus. I can't, I'm looking forward to that, that time. I've kind of inhibited. I'm not a hand raiser. <laughs> I'm in the front row and I'm not raising my hands, but I'll be uninhibited in, in heaven. And I'm looking, I'm looking forward to that day when I can just, with no inhibitions, just sing of his love, sing of his greatness, and, and see it in front of my eyes. So, um, I missed I missed the parade. You know, when, the, when we call the kids up at this time of the service, I miss that. All the little ones that come run with Cindy. And, and now, like you said, we have the kid, Noah. Poor Noah. <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad he's here. But when we see the potential and the, and the beauty and the innocence and, and of those kids going back, I, just, I, I really miss that. I'm hoping we can get back to that. So these are, these are anxiety-producing times. And we're going to see in John 14 that they're anxiety-producing times for Jesus' disciples as well. Um, but now I'm not the pastor. Like I said, I'm kind of far down the depth chart. I'm not even on the elder board. But I pray for these guys every day. And I invite you to, to join with me in that, to pray for our, our, our leaders. But before I get into John 14, I just want to share four things I think we need to be thinking of during this time. Like I said, I'm not the pastor, but I think these are four things we need to look at. Number one, we need to stand firm on truth. You know, John 14, the, the, the chapter we're in right now, Jesus described himself as saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so if we are Christians, you know, like Christ, we should love truth. So we should stand on truth. We should despise what isn't true, what, what's a lie. And, and even if it goes against the common narrative, just love truth. But God's word is truth, and so we love God's word. We open it up every week, and we need to stand firm on that. So that's the first thing, stand firm on truth. Secondly, joy. You know, in, in tough, anxiety-producing times, we need to have joy. You know, if, if, if we have joy, we will, our witness for Christ will shine like a clear, like the stars on a clear night in Canmore. You know, we don't have the city lights of Calgary, and so you go outside, you see these lights, they just shine. That's how we should be in our community. If we can be people that are joyful, people will look to us and go, where is that joy coming from? What comes from, from the Lord? What is given to us? So we should have joy, number two. Number three, we should be diligent to preserve the unity of the body. You know, we're not going to agree on everything. I'm just going to say that we're not going to agree on everything. That's impossible. People are going to have opinions. There's going to go left and right and center, and we're not going to agree. But we need to extend grace to other people that may not believe like us. And, and there's a principle in Scripture that says that we have liberty in Christ, we have grace, but sometimes we limit that liberty for the sake of other people because we love and care for them so much. We need to preserve the unity of the body. And fourth, we need to gather. You know, the Greek word for church is ekklesia, which means to gather. And, and, and the Jewish people met in the synagogue. In the synagogue, that word synagogue means uh, a gathering, an assembly of people. And so... Fellowship and corporate worship are essential. 
and we should be striving to accomplish this. Okay, I'm preaching to the choir. You guys are all here. Maybe with the people at home. But, but you know, Sean gave some great opportunities, like home groups, things that we can be creative. We need to gather. We shouldn't mistake, forsake the assembling of the brethren, as it says in, in, in Hebrews. So, well, these are anxiety-producing times. Okay, that's an understatement. These are anxiety-producing times. But they work with Jesus' disciples as well. I'm going to read our, our passage, John chapter 14. Verses 25-31. to These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. And let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. You have heard that I said to you, I go away and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced. Because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it comes to pass, that when it comes to pass, you may believe. And I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of the world is coming, and he has nothing in me, but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. All right, let us go from here. Now, our tech team, I think in my mind they're omnipotent. But I found out this morning... <laughs> that I need to give them a little more update time to load my slides. So I apologize if I don't have the scriptures. So please bring out your devices and Bibles and stuff and, and turn to John 14. I want to bring up some other passages, and maybe the, our amazing tech team will get those things together in, in some time, but hopefully that'll come. But um, a few weeks ago, I preached on the final countdown. And so, so much of, of John's gospel is marching to the cross. You know, at the beginning, Jesus' disciples, they didn't get it. And in, in the weeks since we've been preaching through that, in the, in the passages and the text we've been going through, they're starting to get it now. In fact, you just heard Jesus say in verses 20 and, and 29, um, you heard me say that I will go away and I'll come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father. And then 29, he says, now I have told you before it comes to pass that when it comes to pass, you may believe. You know, so here's the disciples. They're starting to figure it out, like, okay, um, Jesus is going to leave us. And it kind of sounds like he's going to be murdered. And so if you're one of his disciples, what conclusion would you draw from that? They're probably going to be coming for me. So, I mean, talk about anxiety. You know, we, we're living in a time of anxiety. They were probably in a huge time of anxiety, but Jesus is preparing them. You know, um, Many of you guys know that I'm the chaplain for our, our, our Eagles hockey team, and, and uh, about a year ago, they, they had an outbreak on the team. They went down to Drumheller, and one of the guys got sick, and they had a protocol in place, so they put him in the back of the bus, but you know this disease is quite contagious, and so, so uh, it kind of spread through the bus, and, and 15 of the guys tested positive, but we know that these PCR tests kind of overinflate anyway, but four people got really sick, including the coach. He gave it to his whole family, but it made the news. And so CTV came up here and they interviewed the coach and they said, coach, you know, tell us what happened. And he just kind of told them what happened. And, and uh, you know, the team was okay. The, the guys got over it. No one was deathly ill. And, but um, coach is pretty sick. But um, the league commissioner was not happy of the bad press. And so January-ish, early February, the league commissioner said, we're going to suspend you for 14 games slap on you a $1,500 fine. And so if you've been going to the game, some of you guys I know in this room have season tickets, and, and 
Coach Andrew isn't behind the bench. Now, he's a really charismatic guy, and he leads, and he talks, and, and he's got his, his young cadre of hockey players, you know, 16 or 21-year-olds, mostly 17 or 20, and, and you think about taking away that kind of leadership. Well, they've known since February this is going to happen, and so, so they brought a guy named Kyle in. Kyle, he's an emergency room physician here in town, and, and uh, he used to help out here and there with the team technically, technical things at practice. He'd kind of come and go, volunteer coach. And um, Kyle played NCAA hockey at St. Cloud State in Minnesota, and he was captain of a very good hockey team. And so they've known since February this is going to happen. So, so Skills, that's his nickname, Andrew has been preparing Kyle and preparing the team to go under Kyle's leadership. And this whole time they've been getting him ready. Well, that's what Jesus does to his disciples. You know, he's, he's been, been getting them ready because Jesus, he's going to leave them. And just like our hockey boys are dependent upon their coach, um, our disciples are really dependent upon Jesus, their, their teacher. And so Jesus, uh, and this passage is a really key passage um, to prepare them. Because there's two things we're going to see, the, the power of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit does brings to our minds what Jesus said. Um, we saw in, in, the, in the text that in verse 29, Jesus said, when it comes to pass, you will believe. And so in other words, Jesus is telling them what's going to happen. They're not caught off guard. I mean, if you're the disciples and your leader's gone, killed, I mean, the whole movement's just going to be, unless you go, oh, yeah, he said this is going to happen. It's been predicted. You know, Ephesians 1.11, this is, was going to be one of my slides. Is it up there? No. This is what it says. It says, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. And you look around, and you can see, oh, man, I wish things were like this. <laughs> there we go. Way to go, you guys. Um, I wish things were the way they were before. I wish it wasn't like this. I wish I could, you know. And, and so we get uh, unsettled and, and anxious. And yet this verse tells us that, that God does all things after the counsel of his will. We shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be thrown off because he's in control. Now, if, if the disciples just saw Jesus get murdered and, and thought, well, we lost. Because he doesn't have the power. He doesn't have the control. But Jesus made it very clear, no, the Father has planned this from all beginning. And, and I'm walking in his will. We're all walking in his will. And we're still doing that today. God, our Father, has all things planned. And we're walking in his will. And we need not be anxious. So we have a powerful remedy for uh, overcoming anxiety and, 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 and fear. And that's the presence of the Holy Spirit. Last week, Sean began teaching about this wonderful concept of the Holy Spirit, at God actually living inside of us, empowering us. So um, I grew up in a Swedish Baptist church, Baptist General Conference. I'm ordained in that denomination, actually. And they read the King James Version of the Bible. And so they talked about the Holy Spirit, and they described, the, you know, King James Bible says the Holy Ghost. Freaked me out. I'm like, who is this Holy Ghost, you know? And, and the Greek word is pneuma, you know, pneumatic tools means air, you know, and, or, or spirit. But for some reason, they decided to translate it as ghost. Now, when I was a kid, my favorite cartoon character was Casper, the friendly ghost. But he's a friendly ghost. I wasn't afraid of Casper. But this Holy Ghost thing, I wasn't so sure about that. Um, but John 14, 
Uh, Jesus has said this about the Holy Spirit so far. He said he's our helper. He'll be with us forever. He's the spirit of truth. And he'll, he'll be with you. And he'll be in you. And that's what we have here. Um, Jesus said that, the Holy Spirit. He'll come in my name. He'll be abiding with you. Just before that, he says he'll be with you. And he'll be in you. Now, my hockey career never made it to junior A. I was a peewee for two years. One year I got to be on an all-star team, but that was, that was, anyway. And then Bantam, I was terrible. So my hockey career ended after Bantam. But let's just say that Wayne Gretzky, the great one himself, takes his arms, pushes them through my arms, his legs through my legs, and his sense of where the puck is, all of a sudden the coaches would go, man, what happened to Sellers? I mean, he can, he can score, he can set up people. Uh, he, can't, he still can't fight, because Wayne couldn't fight. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, in, in, in a weird way, that's kind of what Jesus has done for us. He's given us his Holy Spirit to be in us so he can live his life in and through us. You know, are you a defeated Christian, feeling anything but victorious these days? Those days can come to an end. Because if you're in Christ, we are promised that the Holy Spirit is in us. Jesus himself is in, in, in us. You know, as a young person, I knew that I should pray a lot and and read the Bible, and witness my friends, and those are things, yeah, I should do that. Tried a little bit, maybe, but it wasn't until I got to university that I understood the ministry of the Holy Spirit, who he is, what he does, what he does for, for me, and all those things I wanted to do in the past, they just started kind of happening naturally. You know, even, even when it comes to witnessing, you know, um, I, I, I longed to be able to talk to people about, about Jesus, but I never did. You know, in, in Acts 1-8, the last thing Jesus said to his disciples was, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Ju Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And, and you know what? That's kind of how it is. They weren't his witnesses until the power came. In fact, they were cowering before, before the Holy Spirit came. And then when the Holy Spirit came, then they were bold. Peter stands up, preaches a sermon, 3,000 people. Preaching another sermon, 5,000 people. You know, they were amazing. They're, he's just a fisherman. But the, the power of the Holy Spirit came upon him, and he could be his witness. So the, so the many things that we want to do in our Christian life um, happen just naturally as a result of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Well, in verse 26, look at our text. When the Helper, the Holy Spirit, and the Father will send in my name, um, comes, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance. We have an amazing expression of the Trinity here. We love Trinity not just because it's the name of our church, because it's an amazing concept, the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So here we have the Father, who is God, sends his, the Holy Spirit, who is God, but he sends him in the name of his Son. So the Holy Spirit, is, or the Trinity, is coming together in this, this three-part way. You know, in the New Testament, there's another time when the, the, the Trinity was manifested in, in three together. Remember when that time was? Jesus' baptism. Because Jesus, who is God, baptized, and the Father uh, manifested his presence with a, with a booming voice, saying, this is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. And then the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus' shoulders in, in the form of a dove. And so the Trinity kind of came together in more of a, a, a tangible way. But in this way, maybe in an even more reality way, in the Holy Spirit, the Father sends the Spirit in, in, in Jesus' name. Well, the word helper, I don't, know what, I don't know what translation you have. And Sean, you talked about this last week. It's kind of interesting. It's translated so many different ways. So maybe your version says 
um, uh, advocate, counselor, a comforter. You know, the, the actual Greek word is parakletos. And it's a conjunction of two words. Para is a preposition which means uh, alongside, or maybe before or in front of. In other words, he's there. And kletos is just called, being called. And so that word is used in other places in the New Testament to, to describe who, you know, being called into God's family. So anyway, so if it's, if it's literally said, parakletos, one who is called alongside. Now beam that picture up. Oh, okay, it's been up there the whole time. This picture was at my bedside as a kid. Now parents, we have a few parents here, don't underestimate the value of visual images to teach your children things. Because this picture, it was kind of a ratty plaster frame and it wasn't really good looking, but I saw that picture every day of my life growing up. And most days I probably didn't even register in my brain, but subliminally it was there. And so that the picture, there's a young, young adult or young teen, and Jesus is right alongside him. That's a great picture of Parakletos. He's, the Holy Spirit is alongside us. We've seen already he's actually even, even inside of us. But what does the helper do? We see right here in verse 26. He teaches all things and brings them, brings them to our remembrance. Now this is kind of a, it's a prophecy here. It has a dual fulfillment. And the first one is, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And so he's telling them that he's going to bring to their remembrance everything that he said and did. And so who wrote the Gospels? Who wrote the New Testament? It was the disciples. The disciples became apostles, and, 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 or, or in the case of a couple of the Gospel accounts, Peter was the source of, of the person. And so to get inclusion into what we call the canon, the New Testament the word canon means measurement, and so it's kind of like when they were deciding what books go into our Bible, one of the things that they were looking to was, were they apostles? To be an apostle, well, there's, there's two types of apostles. The, the, the Greek word actually, apostolos, means one who is sent. So there's a sense in the New Testament of, of one who is sent out as a missionary. But there's the position of apostleship. And to be an apostle, you had to have been with Jesus. You had to have been a witness to the, the resurrection. And then you could be an apostle. Now, Paul is kind of a latecomer to the scene. He uh, witnessed Jesus, encountered him on, on, on the road in the visions and witnessed his, his resurrection. Um, other New Testament writers, James and Jude, were Jesus' brothers. And so they weren't his disciples, but they were obviously with Jesus, and they were witnesses to his resurrection. And because of that, they became believers because we see in our book of John that his brothers weren't believing in him um, in earth, but... The resurrection has a way of turning things around a little bit in your mind. And so, so that's how when you look at the New Testament books, um, they were written by the apostles. And so this, this passage here that we have, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said. So who wrote our Bible? The Holy Spirit writes it. But he uses people. And even their distinctiveness style comes through sometimes. And, and yet, so here we see that Jesus is telling them the Holy Spirit's going to write the Bible and he's going to work with you to do that. But the Holy Spirit does the exact same thing to us. He brings to our mind remembrance of things that Jesus said. Ever been in a witnessing situation where you're thinking, okay, I don't know how this is going to go, but, but something just pops into your brain. You go, oh, yeah. And, or maybe you're, maybe John, you're preparing the message and something really good comes to you. 
Like, that, that happens to me sometimes. Instead of patting myself on the back, I go, oh, that's too good for me to come up with on my own. Thank you, Holy Spirit. <laughs> you don't want to be like my friend Chris. Chris was a, he's a very well-known uh, gift of discipleship ministry now and has written many resources for the kingdom in, in discipleship. But when he was a new Christian, he was an all-American track and field athlete. He loves talking about Jesus in the dorm. But he didn't know the Bible very good. He didn't understand this concept of the Holy Spirit. So he'd be talking to a guy, and he'd be seemingly stumped by a question, so he'd make up a verse. He'd go, well, 3rd Maccabees says this. And he'd go <laughs> on, and he was so charismatic, he could get away with it. And, uh, but he didn't need to do that because the Holy Spirit helps us in those times, doesn't he? He helps us. He brings to our remembrance the things that Jesus said, so we can say them at the right time. So we need not be uh, fearful of, of being a Christian witness or taking part in Bible studies and, and things like that. And you guys know, you, you know how it is. You've read a Bible passage a hundred times, and then the hundred and first time you read it, you go, wow, that's pretty cool. But you've read it a hundred times before. You never saw that before. Well, anyway, let's go on to verse 27. Jesus is telling us about the peace that he, li- he gives. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. So let not your heart be troubled. He promises peace. He doesn't want us to be troubled or fearful. Now, the word trouble there is terasso, which means to agitate or stir up or be greatly, greatly disturbed. And it's a word that was used uh, earlier in, in one of the Gospels in Mark. So the disciples in Mark chapter 6 are, are, are in their boat, and it's the middle of the night, and Jesus comes walking on the water. And they think it's a ghost, and they are scared. They're terrified. That's what it says here. When they all saw him, they were terrified, thinking that he was a ghost. But immediately Jesus spoke and said, take heart, it is I. Don't be afraid. That's the word there they use, terrasso. And so he said, don't be terrified. Whatever's going on in your life. And then secondly, he says, don't be fearful. Usually in the Bible, the word for fear is phobeo. It's used several times. But this time, it's a different word. It's, it, it's a word... Um, what do I have here? Dilateo, which means, it's only used one time in all the New Testament, uh, in the Bible. It means timid, fearful, or, or unsure, or, or holding back. So, I mean, it would make more sense to just to, to, for Jesus to use, the, the gospel writers to use the word phobeo, because that's kind of the word for fear. So when I saw that, it's like, okay, it's only used one time in all the Bible, there's got to be a reason for that. And so when I look at the, the meaning, you know, holding back, there's purpose. Not just a generic fear, but a fear that paralyzes us. A fear that keeps us from, from walking forward in faith and taking action. So Jesus is telling them, you know, don't, don't be troubled. But don't, don't be fearful or, or, or timid. Now, i got to ask, has your heart been troubled or fearful lately? Mine has. Mine's been that way. We need to let Jesus give us this complete and total peace. You know, Jesus makes a contrast to what the world offers in terms of peace. What kind of peace does the world offer? They make all kinds of peace promises for sure all the time. Vote for me. We just had an election. Vote for me. I'll provide for you. And what do you get? Massive debt and a program that doesn't trickle down to you anyway in the end. (laughs) Trust me. I'm a scientist. You can just trust me and... And you can have peace. Trust the science. 
Um, but then they go, well, wait a minute, you said the exact opposite before. And just this week it came out, and they say, well, actually, it was a noble lie. It was a good lie. No, nah, I mean, we, we remember, we love, we love truth. And then there's the, the, the piece of the seduction of stuff. You get this or that, cards, boat, this product, or maybe you're in a relationship. Then you'll have peace. But you know how that works out. It never delivers. So how does Jesus deliver his promised peace? Well, first off, we have this fruit of the Holy Spirit. And, and as, as we see later in, in the Bible, in Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy. Now, I don't, even, I don't know if these are listed in, in order of importance or not. They're all important. But I wonder sometimes if they're order of importance. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Against these things, there, there's no law. Well, the Holy Spirit gives us the joy I talked about earlier, and he gives us the peace that Jesus had promised to us. And he gives it through the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, in my front yard, some of you guys live up in the peaks with me, and I got this nice big container of, of strawberries. And, and, and every year it gets a little bit better because they're perennials. I, I slide it into my garage in the winter so I don't get winter kill, and I bring it out in the, in the spring, and it shoots off runners. And, and, uh, and every once in a while, those runners produce you know, a, a white, beautiful bloom, and then that thing turns into a little berry. And since my container is right in my front yard, this is why I, get, I warned you guys, don't, don't be picking my berries, okay? <laughs> I'll be walking out to my car, and I'll kind of check, and oh, there's one under the leaf. Uh, and your own homegrown strawberries off the vine, off the runner, they're so good. Now, I have another plant in my, my front yard. Uh, Kirsty gave me um, a habanero pepper plant. Now, I have this, this devious squirrel in my neighborhood that loves to steal my stuff. He hasn't gotten my strawberries, thankfully. But one night, he stole one of my habaneros, took a bite. I could see his little squirrel teeth marks in it, and he immediately dropped it and ran. And I think he had a rude awakening <laughs> when, he, when he ate one of my habaneros. But the thing is, those strawberries and my habaneros, they don't, they don't work to produce the fruit. They just abide in, in the runner, strawberry runner, and the plant. And they just, the fruit just kind of naturally grows. We need to abide in the Holy Spirit and don't not, like, I got to have joy today. Somehow I got to find joy. Or somehow I got to have peace. No, no, no. Let the Holy Spirit produce the peace and the joy in you. And by faith, believe that he'll do that because it's been promised by Jesus. You know, um, the Holy Spirit does this too. As I mentioned, he brings things to our minds. Now, Jesus has said some amazing truths and given us some amazing promises that will bring peace to our minds. There's one, one message that was delivered on a mountain. It's probably the greatest message in all the history of humanity, and that's the Sermon on the Mount. And it's recorded in, in Matthew 6, verse 34, where Jesus says this, Be anxious not for tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. In other words, Jesus was saying, take it one day at a time. Of all the things in your life that you've been anxious or worried about, how many of them have actually come to pass? Now think about that. We, we think about so many things that make us anxious, makes us fearful. They're out there somewhere. And a lot of them never even happen. We lose years off of our lifespan because we're thinking about things that never even, even happen. There's so much fear. But Jesus is telling us to focus on each day and don't fret about what could happen. 
take on the challenges of today. And one of the things I like to read that challenges me sometimes, I like to read about Navy SEALs. These guys are studs. I mean, I, I've listened to some books and I've read some books and they have training that's unbelievable. They, they got to get in amazing shape just to, to get into the training. And they go through this incredible training and then they enter what they call Hell Week. It's seven days. They get like two hours of sleep, not per night, for the whole week. And they're doing things that could kill them. Because they're, you know, they could, people have drowned during Hell Week. Well, there's, there's a bell that they have up here. And if, if you're going through Hell Week, and some of these guys, it's been their lifelong dream to be a Navy SEAL. And they're, and, and they're doing it. But Hell Week gets tough. And so if you quit, you got to walk up to that bell, ring that thing. And everybody knows, oh, somebody else just dropped doesn't matter if that was your, your dream for your whole life. They're, you know what? Over half the guys don't even make it past day two. But they walk up to that bell, bang, go get their stuff, go home, you know. Well, one of the guys said, I was reading about, he said, the only way I could make it was I decided if I look at the end of hell week, what I had to endure psychologically, because it's mostly mental. I mean, these guys are tough physically, but... It's a mental game. And he said, if I could just make it to the next meal, that was my goal. You know, I'm there in the morning. If I could just make it to lunch, okay, I made it to lunch. Now, if I can just make it to dinner, and he gets it, okay, I made it to dinner. Now, if I can just make it to breakfast. So he's took it in bite-sized chunks like that. And that's exactly what Jesus is telling us. You know, each day has enough trouble of its own. Don't be anxious to look out the future. Just deal with today. When Jesus told us how to pray and talked about our bread, our sustenance, how did he say? He, did he say, um, you know, give us this day or, or this month our monthly allotment or thank you for in the past? No, he said, give us this day our daily bread. And it just, Jesus wanted us to walk with him each day and make the most of it. One of my, my heroes in sport and life, strong Christian man was John Wooden. He was the coach at UCLA basketball, and, and um, just a neat Christian guy. He had a would have a cross in his pocket, and so he'd be on the floor. And you just, you've seen all these basketball coaches would just lose it and go crazy. You know, Bobby Knight would throw chairs and stuff. Well, he'd be tempted to do that, but he'd be fingering that cross in his pocket. He'd be thinking about who he represents and, and, and what he's doing. And so John Wooden has a saying. He says, make each day your masterpiece. I've written that a few places on my desk in my, my, my iPad bullet list, my masterpiece day. So I just think about make each day your masterpiece. Just one day at a time. Don't be anxious for the future. Just think about today. That's what Jesus told us to do. Another thing that Jesus told us is right here in our passage in verse 30. Look at verse 30. He says, I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of the world is coming, and he has nothing in me. And Jesus had, had an enemy. We have an enemy. We're his kids. As much as Satan hates Jesus, he, he hates us. But what does Jesus say about this? He has nothing on him. You know, throughout Jesus' ministry, he seemed to have a keen alertness to his adversary and Satan's hostile presence. You know, uh, recently I read a book by, uh, and, and they're describing Robert F. Kennedy. He was saying that 
really has a belief that the world is a cosmic battle between good and evil. And I always kind of gave lip service to that a little bit. Yeah, mostly good. There's some evil. But lately, as we've been going through a lot of these things, evil's beginning to emerge, I think, more than ever. And I think I, bel- I, I go along with RFK now that, that there's a cosmic battle between good and evil going on. And it's intense. And Jesus knew about it. He described it even, even here. And, and, and what does he say to it? Like I said, he says he has nothing on him. Jesus completely and sinlessly completed his mission. In verse 30, he calls him the ruler of this world. Um, he may think he has a lot of us, and he kind of would if not for a verse that's an amazing reality. Because we are in Christ, 1 Corinthians 5.21 says this, he made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Folks, I'm going to say something that might offend some of you. We are as righteous as Jesus. But it's not me saying it. It's 1 Corinthians 5.21. He became sin for us, that we become the righteousness of God. So Satan had nothing on Jesus. He has nothing on us. He is the accuser, though. Um, I'm getting ahead of myself. Sorry. The word devil, diabolos, means accuser, a slanderer. And, and Satan, the word, means uh, adversary. So we have an adversary who loves to accuse us. That's what da- the Greek word diabolos, that's what it means, accuser. But 1 Corinthians 5.21 says he's got nothing on us. So we became, Jesus became sin on our behalf for that purpose. So we are covered in the blood of Jesus. This is amazing. And when it, it instructs us that when, when God looks on us, he doesn't see the sin, he just sees the blood of his son. You know, in the middle of the book of Revelation, fascinating passage in, in chapter 12. I don't think we got it on the screen. I could get go to Revelation chapter 12 because there's an interlude. And all of a sudden, instead of predicting all the stuff that's going to happen or has happened, will happen, there's an explanation of this cosmic battle between good and evil. It says this in Revelation 12, um, verses 9 to 11. And the great dragon was thrown down. We're about Satan. This is, this is historical now. That ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. This is the part I want us to see here. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. You know, folks, it may seem right now that, that as Christians, we might be losing the battle. It just seems like this cosmic battle, evil might seem to be getting the upper hand. But you know what? This battle's been going on since the beginning of our time. And there are three ways that Christians have conquered through the ages. People just like you and me, ordinary people. People that, that weren't special, but they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. How did they conquer by, by the, how did they conquer in this cosmic battle? Number one, by the blood of the Lamb. And that's how we conquer, by the blood of the Lamb. Secondly, 
by the word of their testimony. And then thirdly, they love not their lives unto death. This is the three-part strategy. You might be looking at it and going, man, that kind of sounds kind of beautiful. By the word of their testimony, they didn't, they didn't even love their lives unto death, but through those three things, they overwhelmingly conquer. And that's how we overwhelmingly conquer. And just like they're ordinary people, just like us, we conquer in, 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 the, in the same way. You know, I'm so glad that the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy wrote these words because after an incredible life of incredible ministry, he knows it's come to an end and how depressing of a place the jail possibly could be. And he knows that Nero is going to take his head off in, in, in the near future. He says this to Timothy, who's kind of timid, who has a tendency toward that timidity I talked about earlier. He told Timothy, he said, Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but one of power, love, and a sound mind. 2 Timothy 1.7. We've been given a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. And so as I bring things to a close, I just want to say that we need the Holy Spirit more than ever these days. Don't we? We need the Holy Spirit. And, and I've got a, a four-part far formula I want to share with you. Now, the Holy Spirit, Jesus himself said, it's like the wind. You don't know where it comes from, where it's blowing, where it's going. We don't know how the Holy Spirit works. We know that he works, and he works in powerful ways. So we never want to put him into a box. The Holy Spirit, you can do this, but I'm not so comfortable about this. Well, well anyway, and, and so I'm, I'm a little cautious, but there are four things I, I want us to look at. The first one is we need to desire to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you have that desire? Man, let's desire to be filled with the Spirit. You know, we're commanded. Ephesians 5, 18 says, Be not drunk with wine, for that is dissipation or excess, but be filled with the Spirit. We're commanded to be filled with the Spirit. You want that? Boy, I sure do. Secondly, present every area of your life. Romans 12, uh, 1 and 2 says, I urge you, therefore, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. So when we present every area of our life, it's like, it's like making our lives more efficient to let the Holy Spirit flow through. If you're a pipe and you're clogged up, maybe only 10% of the water can make it through. But but when you, when you present every area of your life, there's some kind of power in that that just says, Holy Spirit, flow through me. So secondly, present. Desire, present. Thirdly, confess any known sin. In 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, unconfessed sin, the word confess means hom is homo legato, which means just to agree. You know, we agree with God that we've blown it. We agree with God that it's forgiven, and we agree with God we're going to call it quits. You know, unconfessed sin in our lives kind of, it kind of has a way of just, like, if you ever do electrical things to your car or your home, or even like a toy train, you know, if a sign falls across, a metal sign falls across the track, it short circuits it, and the train doesn't run. Sin kind of short circuits that power of God in our lives. So we need to confess any known sin. Jesus paid for it on the cross. I've already shown you how it's, it's covered with his blood. It's paid for and forgiven. Confessing our sin allows us to experience that forgiveness. And it just kind of, again, aids the flow of the Holy Spirit. And then lastly, by faith, just believe and claim God's promise to fill you. You know, 1 John 5 says this, and the, and the witness is this that we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, is, is it God's will that we're filled with the Spirit? Yes. Of course, we're commanded. We know that he hears us, and whatever we ask, 
and we know that we have the request with which we have asked for him. So believe when we ask in faith to be filled because we're commanded, it's obviously God's will, and believe that he will fill us with the Spirit. I want to close with a, a weird story. Um, I was involved with Campus Crusade for Christ as a, as a person in university. And then first couple of years, my Athletes in Action um, staff career. And they had this conference down in Daytona Beach, Florida. And all these college kids go down to party and drink their faces off and go crazy. But in the midst of all this debauchery, we had this conference. And they bring in some of the greatest Christian speakers. And I'd come off the ski circuit, hadn't been to church in weeks. I was just so dry spiritually, and I just needed that fellowship. And I'd thaw out both physically and spiritually and hearing these great speakers. And, and then uh, in the afternoons, we go to the beaches, and we do some street witnessing. And it's, pr- it's pretty exciting. And one of my friends named Joe was, was on the beach, and we were doing witnessing or hanging out or something. This guy comes up to him, and he says, hey, man, want to buy some hash? Make hash, whatever that is. And he goes, I don't need that. I got something way more powerful. And he goes, really? What is it? Well, you're not ready for it. <laughs> you know, he goes, no, I can, no, man, what is it? Goes, HS. HS, I never heard of that. What is it? Well, again, so they're going back and forth, and Joe's putting them off and putting them off, and the guy's almost begging him, tell me about this HS. He tells him about HS, <laughs> the Holy Spirit, how he can experience God and be forgiven for his sins. Folks, we need to get some HS. Let me lead us in a prayer. I want to just take us through those four steps. I'm going to pray it for myself. I invite you to join along with me in your hearts. Let's pray. Father God, we just come before you and thank you so much for the promises of Scripture. And Lord, we desire to be filled and empowered with your Spirit. And Lord, we just present every area of our lives to you now. And just show us what we need to do to do that. And thirdly, we just confess some of the things. I'm even going to pause right now and just, Holy Spirit, let you work in our lives and our minds and our hearts and our souls and reveal maybe something that, that isn't right that needs to be confessed right now. Thank you for forgiving our sins, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your shed blood. And we just, right now by faith, just believe that you are going to fill us and empower us. I know, Lord Jesus, you want that in, of us. I know you want to live your life through us. So we invite you now to come into our lives and our hearts and just empower us with, the, with your presence, the Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.